The Lord be with you, everyone. And tonight is going to be a little unusual in that I'm departing from what we were proceeding with in the last webinar, which was looking at the great energy released in praising God. And I, I want to address where I think all of you are right now in the midst of this crisis that we find ourselves in and to look at what does the Scripture really say about things like this. And the fact is, it fits in very well with what I was going to say tonight on praise. And so, in a way, it it just fits like a Lego piece and um, we'll not be losing anything. I trust we'll be gaining a lot. And so I want to look tonight at Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is one of the greatest psalms in the Scripture that deals with our being in this world and walking through it, and specifically in walking through its evils and its pressures and crises. And so let me read a few verses and I'm going to talk about them, and then we'll move on at least some part of the psalm. Psalm 91, he who dwells, listen to these words. You know, these words could in themselves change your life forever, and that I do mean. Listen, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, I am my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is He who delivers you from the snare of the trapper or the hunter and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, or of the arrow that flies by day, or of the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. Verse 9, for you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. I'll stop there. Um... Let, let's face something right at the very beginning, that we are in a real crisis today throughout the world and here in the USA, and yet the real crisis is not what we think it is. The real crisis that we're facing right now, you might say, is underneath what we call the crisis. And therefore, the real crisis is what I'm concerned about. I'm not going to even talk <clears throat> about the crisis that 
you see on every news cycle, all day, every day, I think we've heard enough about it to last this lifetime. I want to get to the crisis that very few, if any, are talking about. And that is, why is there this surface crisis that is consuming everyone? It is because there is a collapse in the immune system of people. And hold, I'm not going to give a lecture on your human body, but there is an immunity that we were created to have, an immunity that would stand against all the powers that would destroy us at a spirit level, mental, emotional, and physical level. And once that immunity is down, poor, or non-existent, then we open ourselves up to whatever disease, whatever malfunction of my spirit, whatever breaking up of my emotions, whatever confusion of my mind, Without the immunity, we just collapse before such things. And here we find that in the media today, the media is fueling the very thing that breaks down that immunity. That is, they are fueling and pouring into us fear and terror and hopelessness. I I, I looked at an article the other day where where I I couldn't believe, I mean, the headlines were, you know, tens of thousands laying dead and the whole country descending into something like a nuclear darkness. And then I realized it wasn't reporting. It was what the scientists were saying could happen. And they give it in such detail that it feeds all of our fears and leaves us in a state of trembling. This could happen. Yeah, sure, I guess it could. Um, Have you ever thought of what could happen if you get out of bed this morning? Um, Because I say if you stayed in bed, the ceiling could collapse on you. It could. A plane could descend and crash into your house. It could. Oh, no. That, That is... That is almost to the point uh, of, of some sort of murderous intention to completely feed people with what isn't but what could be fear, fear, terror. You see, it is fear that opens the door to this virus. The virus is not the problem. It's the fear that is gripping people and opening them up to all the possibility. Fear is that which allows sickness and disease to enter our bodies. It's the ultimate immune. I I could speak um, with some authority. I was married for 20 years to a, a naturopathic doctor And I I learned that immune system. I know the vitamins to take. I know how to put around you things that God has given us in the earth for an immune system. But I'm not going there. I'm going to the behind the scenes, the master breaker down of immunity, which is fear. Fear. That's the only thing that is worse than any disease. It is the fear of the disease. And that's what this whole psalm is about. 
You see, if you do not have that inner immunity, if you have not that which overcomes fear, then really the other stuff doesn't work. I, I've got to have the, the, the ultimate protection, which is the opposite of fear, which is love, and it has to be divine love. And that, it says, casts out all fear. When I have that, then the disease and all the other things that break down my person cannot get to me. It's a protective. And it doesn't matter what's going on around me because I have the protection. You see, it gets very cold. And if you were out there naked in the cold, you would soon be in great trouble. But you put on protective clothing. And then you stand out there in the cold and you don't even feel the cold because you have put the clothing which immunes you to the cold. Well, that's what I'm talking about. What is it that we put on? What is it in which we find refuge that all of life in its negativity and darkness and destruction and potential of death cannot get to us? What is that? Yes, I'm talking the gospel. Do you realize? You see, we have been raised on on this. Oh, I'm going to get there again, aren't I? (laughs) They've been, you, you were sold short. They told you the gospel was about after death. The gospel was a destination point, somewhere you were going or not going. No, the gospel is the greatest news that you live now with this love of God embracing you so that in this world, in this now, you live in relationship with God in a a state of life at every level. That's the gospel. So you see, without that immunity, you're, you're like a crab without its shell. You are wide open to whatever is coming against you. And so before the virus or whatever we're talking about that would attack us, before that is the fear of it. The image that is carried in the minds of so many people, even as I'm speaking right now, the image of a doomsday, the way even in this little town in which we live and the people are buying up, are we having a hurricane? Is there a tornado coming through? Uh, The shelves are empty? Um, Because they have in their imagination this doomsday, this absolute triumph of the disaster the virus, Um, our thoughts, you know, go around and around in circles. What if, what if, what if, what if? And it always ends up in doom and disaster. Imagination takes over to give us images of what might be, could be, will be. Let's imagine it. Words, they come pouring out of people's mouths, all their fears, all that their imagination is seeing. And the amazing thing is, which the Bible has said for millennia, which many scientists have said, and more and more and more so recently, 
You are attracting the thing you fear. It's not so much of attracting it, it's opening every door of your person and say, come on in. We are actually allowing and giving a passport to anything that wants to come in. And also the fear can produce in us what really isn't there. They have recently exhumed the bodies of those who died in the European plagues. Maybe you don't Um, I don't know if you had that in school over here, but in the 14th, 15th century, all across Europe and England, the plagues, the Black Plague, the Bubonic Plague, the wiped out whole cities, um, and, and the people were buried in mass graves. And, well, recently they've exhumed those bodies And with all the technology we have today, they can go to the bones and find out what these people died of. And they found that over 50% of the persons who died in those plagues, they died from the fear of the plague, not the plague itself. And the fear of it produced in them the symptoms of it, and the fear of it produced death, but they never really had the disease. That's the terrible ability of fear released inside of us. In that sense, fear of the disease is stronger than the disease. It, fear surrenders to the negative. Fear surrenders to the doomsday as if it's inevitable. That, that's, that's the nature of fear. So I say again, the ultimate immune that makes everything else work is that I come to the realization that God loves me with a love infinitely greater and beyond human love, that this personal Father and Son and Holy Spirit genuinely, I mean absolutely, in the world of real, cares for us, that He is our protection. This is the reality which is a love union with him. This is not a formula. It's not if you say these words, then you have immunity. No, it is the inner knowing that you are held in the arms of the God who loves you, who is for you. You are secure in his love. And out of that, you have an attitude of love, which is stronger than all fears. That's what is behind Psalm 91. And I, I want you to hear it slowly again. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High dwells. I mean, that means you take up residence. It's where you live, you work. It's your dwelling place. Well, he says that dwelling place, your entire life, is in the greater dwelling of the Most High. You live in His presence. But then it says, in the most interesting phrase, that person will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. The Almighty. Uh, that's the most original name of God. It was used mostly in the book of Genesis. It's how they addressed and how they knew God. And there's been many attempts to give a full translation 
of what it means in English. Maybe the best that I know is in actual fact, if I translated it literally, it would be the breasted one. It, it means that God is to us as a nursing mother. It gives the image of God holding us as, as if we're little children and, and holds us close to himself and is our nourishment and our protection. Um, I, and I, I would be satisfied, especially in this context, to say that. He said that you dwell inside the dwelling of the Most High, which I think that's the a name of God that speaks for itself. He's above all others, name above all names, Most High. But then that person will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Okay, under the shadow of the one who is our protection and our nourisher. But this word, under the shadow, actually it's a very ancient expression. It comes from um, the most ancient <clears throat> living in covenant. It's one of those things where in a covenant certain things work because of the strength of covenant. And this is one of them. Okay, let me put it in illustration. You are a traveler in the desert. And of course, that was much of the world of the Bible. And as nightfall is coming, there is no, there's no place to be. No place to be for many, many reasons. And of course, there were no motels or anything like it. And so what do you do? You're hungry and you're in the desert You've got to find somewhere where you can stay for the night. And you come upon some sort of village, and you would go to the nearest tent, and you would hold on to the tent rope. And just holding on to the tent rope, you're a traveler, you're a stranger, and you hold on to the tent rope. And that is telling the person of the tent, the owner of the tent, that... You're all of that. Just holding the tent rope would tell them, you're a stranger, you're hungry, you need a bed, and you've got nowhere to go. And that, in that day, the people looked at it, you have been sent to them by God as a gift, that you might care for this person as if they were indeed God himself. And so the person will take you into his tent, and any food that he has is yours. You're going to be fed tonight even if your host goes hungry because you have been sent by God. He's going to treat you as royalty. And you are going to sleep on a bed tonight even though your host may have to sleep on the floor, including all his um, family. You get the bed. You get the food. And should you be followed by enemies, maybe you're running from, from those who want to kill you, well, at this point, your host, who doesn't yet know your name, has become your protector and will protect you with his own life. I know that sounds crazy in our Western world, 21st century, but that was a custom that was deeply engraved into the people. You were never a stranger. You are welcomed into any and every tent. Nor did they say, now, when are you leaving? They would never ask you that. 
You were welcome to stay as long as you wished, and they would care for you that whole time. Now, back to the text, when you came into that tent, and when you came under the protection and the provision of that owner, it says in in Bible language, you came under the shadow of their roof. There's a very ugly story in the book of Genesis where Lot um, took into his house the angels, you might remember the story, and when men came to get those angels, Lot goes out and he says, these men have come under the shadow of my roof. And that, that is the key to the whole story. Um, we have come under the shadow of the Almighty. It, it baffles speech to try and say what that is really, really saying. You mean I, as a, a, a lonesome stranger, with, with an ache and a hunger in my heart, may be pursued by every accusing lie of Satan, and, and I come and I just simply present myself to this God and he says, you're home. And he embraces me and he takes me in and he gives me everything that he has and he becomes my protection. I am under the shadow. I'm under the shadow of the nourisher. I'm under the protection of the provider, the keeper. That's what it's saying. We, we come under the shadow of Shaddai, because the word Shaddai, you might have heard that word, is this word that is translated here as the Almighty. Um, Shaddai is the Hebrew name. God um, Shaddai, he's the God of the nourish of the protector. And so you have come under the shadow of El Shaddai. Um, you're treated as royalty, and he will protect you with no questions asked. And he goes on, the writer here, he says, Now I'm under the shadow of the Almighty, therefore I will say to, you have it, the Lord, and you know that means I am, you will say to I am, my refuge, my fortress, that is God himself, I am, is my refuge. It is the place where I have come to ultimate protection, God himself. He is my fortress, the place of strength that gives out strength, which repels the enemy as well as keeps me safe. He says, And he didn't say, I will say to the Lord, oh, please be my refuge. No, this is the language of simple faith. He has received me. I am under his shadow. And therefore, I can simply say, I am my refuge. I am my fortress. It is so. It's not something I ask for, beg for, plead for, promise I'll work for but simply I rest back into. This is the way it is because this is the way he is. He is love and covenantally gives himself to us. And we say thank you. 
And he says, he will cover you with his pinions. That's an old word for feathers. And really in the Hebrew, it would be wings. But wings is in the next line. So they gave us feathers in that line. He will cover you with his feathers or wings. Under his wings, you may seek refuge. I I think there's um, two ideas there. Um, The first, when it speaks in the scripture of wings, the wings of God, um, I don't want to get into great detail, but um, in, in the tabernacle, which later in the temple, you remember in the Holy of Holies, where there was the Ark of the Covenant, and on the Ark there were at either end the cherubim. We know very little about cherubim, but they're mighty angels and they had great wings, and the wings touched. You might have seen pictures of it. And that that would be described as the wings of God. And it says, under his wings. Well, what was under the wings of the cherubim? It was the mercy seat and the very presence of God in the Old Testament. And so he is saying, under the wings of God, under the wings of God, I find my refuge in his presence, in his innermost heart. He keeps me. I'm kept there. That's who I am. He says, um, he's he's mine. I'm right there covered by his wings. And another way of looking at it could be what we're, some of us anyway, are familiar with, where the birds uh, will cover their young with their wings, especially when there is approaching crisis um, the mother hen, the mother bird of anything, will will, will cover the the chicks, and as the crisis approaches, she will face off, and the chicks will be safe. And if I look at it like that, which really the two ideas do come together, it is saying that under his wings you you find refuge under the what can I say, under the massive arms of God. He keeps you, and, and and you are between you and the crisis stands all of God, and He's already gone to death for you, and when He rose from the dead, He carried you with Him. You you are held, you see, you are held there. That that's that, that's the story of the entire Bible. That that's what He was saying, as I said a moment ago, when He says, "I am." That's the name of God. And, and I am it is the one who now has taken me under his massive arms, and he is now my protection. And all the I am expressions of God in the Old Testament, they come to a head in Jesus, because Jesus is the I am of the Old Testament, who has become one of us, in order that he might relate and give himself to us. And so all through the Gospels. I am, I am, I am. I am the way, the truth, the life, the shepherd, the door, the bread. <clears throat> I am. But then in Revelation one seventeen, the ultimate I am, where he says, I am he who lives. And that word could better be, I am livingness. I am the ultimate life. I don't have life. I am life. And then the most massive words, I was dead. He says, I have actually entered into death. I faced death eyeball to eyeball. I was dead. 
but it's a big thing, was dead. Death could not keep him. He contradicted death. How do you kill death? By resurrection. (laughs) Once Jesus resurrected, death had been shown to have no more power, no more authority. You do realize there's only one fear in the world. It's the fear of death. You might say you're you're very fearful. Well, you you find the possibility of death in many places. Well, why are you afraid that you don't have enough money? Because then you couldn't buy food and you couldn't have a house and you'd die. You see, why 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 are people afraid today? Right in this moment that we're speaking, it's the fear of death. Because every virus, every bacteria has within it the intention of death. Fear of death. And Hebrews 2.15 speaks of mankind as living under this terrible bondage of the fear of death so that I I fear this, I fear that, I fear the other. I I, I live my life preparing for the worst possibility, fear. Then it speaks of Jesus who entered into oneness with us and overcame death and therefore overcame our fears. And, and became the one, the one, who now stands between us and all our fears and stands between us and all that would destroy us. He's the I am. Bring all the I ams together and then the finale, I am livingness. I was dead. <clears throat> but behold, or well, get a look at this, I am alive and alive forevermore. That's the end of fear, if you, if you let it sink in. That, that, that's, that's what it is. So it says he, he delivers us, delivers us. So if, if you're under the shadow, you, remember your host is the one who protects you, he provides for you, but he also delivers you. And, and this one, I am He's already dealt with every thing that would ever come against us. And so he says that under his wings we seek refuge. He's the one that delivers us from the trapper. He's the one that delivers us from deadly pestilence. Let that sink in. This isn't poetry, you know. We're not just reading encouraging things. I'm speaking to you with the authority of the Most High. In my words are El Shaddai, Jesus, coming into your hearts through the Holy Spirit. This is life. This is bigger than every bit of news you've heard today. He delivers us. Like Psalm 23, verse 6, he says, you you." You give me a great feast in the presence of my enemies. He says, there, there. The enemies are there. You can see their deadly eyes shining in the dark. And David could sit at God's feast table and laugh at them because, you see, I'm within the protection. I'm immune by the presence of the shepherd that stands between me and the enemies. That's immunity. That's the love of God, and that's the reality that Jesus has brought us to. That's the gospel. And then he says, his faithfulness. 
is a shield, my, my, my host in this tent in which I found my shadow. He says, uh, he's faithful. He's, he's a shield. And that he, faithful, very idea of faithful, is a covenant word. It means that God cannot go back on his word. That he doesn't want to, but he couldn't. For covenant means, once I have sworn the oath to do thus and so and be such and so, then I cannot go back or I will cease to be. And God says amen to that. When he swears by himself, his faithfulness is he will keep that. And he will keep it. And he keeps it by his faith. Because... (laughs) You know, my, my, my reaction is, how does, he, how does he do this? How can I have all of God there is to have? How can I know that he is wrapped around me? That I have the immunity of God to life itself that would destroy me? How can, how can he do that? And then... The, the religion of the day comes and whispers in my ear, you don't have enough faith to believe for that. Well, faithfulness destroys that. You see, faithfulness is God having faith to do what he said. And so I honestly, I don't know how he is all of that to you and your house is included in this. And, and yet, how does he do it? It's his faith. He is faithful to his faith. He, he keeps his word. And our faith is simply trusting his. That's why there's a rest to it. I don't try and have faith. He had the faith. I rest in his faith. His faithfulness. There's a beautiful verse in Psalm 56 that I'll just tell you about it. It's worth a whole hour. But David says, speaking to his covenant God, he says, Thy vows, thy vows, that is your sworn covenant statements, the vows of God, he said, are upon me. That is, you swore by yourself, oh, you beautiful God. You swore by yourself you would keep me. You swore by yourself you would walk with me, ahead of me and behind me. You would be my immunity. That's what you swore, your vows. God swore by himself a vow. David says, they're upon me. I'm I'm resting in that. I'm trusting in it. That's the way it is. And then he says, your your faithfulness is a shield. And the the word there conveys really the idea of a a wraparound shield, which I've been using without saying the words, that he's ahead and behind and around us. This is so. And then he it's as if he looks out of the tent. And what does he see? Well, he sees terrors by night. And the Lord, the host, El Shaddai, speaks and says, You will not be afraid of the terrors by night. Terrors by night. That's very real. You wouldn't believe the number of people, usually they don't make a public statement about it, but the number of people that live under the terrors of night, 
um, night dreams that terrify them, wake up screaming sometimes, and terrors even to go into the bedroom and so on. Uh, of fear, you see, fear of, um, well, it's amazing what fears are contained because terrors of the night in the darkness and we're alone and what happens when we're alone? What has happened to some of you in the last week when you're alone in the middle of the night? The, every thought that is empowered by fear invades our minds and an imagination in vivid color we see. And it's always disaster. Have you noticed you never have anything about the love of God in your imaginations, in your night terrors? Have you noticed that? Flesh makes sure, keep God out of this or it all collapses, see. Um, but the night fears, um, fear, even when we were children, the fear that we had of shadows, what was, it, what was hidden in the shadows, it was never a good thing. It's always something bad that we thought was there. Terrors of the night. In, and this is really an aside, but I'll say it because it fits this whole picture that I'm seeking to bring to you. Um, I have used Psalm 91 to pray for and with more people than I can think of any other psalm. Um, because every one of these words, they, they seem to be vibrating energy of love and the almighty authority of God's love. And, and this one, um, I remember when I, I first, it was a long time ago, I, I first came face to face with the glorious power, if I could use that word, um, of, of this psalm. It was a, one of the Korean orphans had been brought over here and, of course, had come out of a family where there was much demonism, in a country where there is much demonism. And the poor little chap, um, as he now began, as a, he's now a toddler, but he wakes up in the night screaming with these... Um, dreams of demons and terrors of all description. And and so the mother brought him to the church I was at. And actually, it was an Episcopal church. I was having meetings in an Episcopal church. And she brought him to the priest, and the poor chap, he didn't know what to do. And so he brought the mother and the child to me. And I came down and knelt by the little fellow, and I read him parts of Psalm 91 and told him this was Jesus speaking to him, that his night terrors were over and all the demonic forces that stalked his dreams at night were gone and finished. And he seemed to understand. And I told his mother, before you put him to bed, just sit down and read Psalm 91 and, and say, this is for you. That little fellow never had another night terror never had another nightmare. It was over. Psalm 91 led us to that glorious end. What I'm saying is not just religious words of encouragement. I am I'm seeking to come through this camera and, and tell you this, this is God's answer. This is God's ultimate immunity, and this is what is missing today and is being 
found. We've been found wanting in many areas. It's not there. People are left alone, surrounded by fears. But it says here, all the terrors by night, gone. Then it says, and the arrow that flies by day. Well, if you had a a picture of a virus um, and your cell, your cell like a great big, uh, what, bubble, I suppose you could say, um, balloon, and, and it's not great big, it's minuscule, but I'll make it great big. And here comes the virus, and, and, and the virus lands on your cell, your, your balloon, and it's, it wants to get inside, which it does, and once it in, it reproduces there. Well, it's an arrow that flies by day, that's for sure, an arrow that's coming straight at you. But you see, when you have an immune system, and as I say, there, there's food immunity, which, which is very important. I'm just not addressing that today. But um, when, when you have an immune system, that arrow of the virus can hit your cell and bounce right off. That's science. The scripture says it, that when I am living in the realization, as a big word, this isn't just saying it because Malcolm said it. This is knowing in your heart that he is the one who loves me, who has given himself for me and dwells in me through his spirit. That is the way it is. I know that. And then it says the arrows come, but they bounce off. Um, the pestilence, another word for all these disease words, stalks in the darkness. Is it, it's, have you noticed how much imagination is in this psalm? People get upset with me when I say anything about uh, an imagination filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, if this isn't he, all the words he uses, he describes these things that come against us as hunters. Um, he says, God covers you with his wings. That's all imagination, pictures. But they're vivid pictures. It show you what is happening. And now he, he says it, it stalks in the darkness. Well, he, God himself, in verse 5, is telling you, you will not be afraid. The terror by night, it won't touch you. The arrow that flies by day. Pestilence that stalks like a hunter in the night. And you won't be afraid of the destruction that the virus leaves in its wake. It wastes at noon, so it deals with morning, noon, and night, whichever you're looking at. He says, it shall not approach you, verse 7. It shall not approach you. There's, you're actually putting out a repelling force. Verse 10, no evil will befall you, nor will any plague, I think that's what we're talking about, Come near your tent. This is what he's saying to every one of us. That's what living in the shadow of El Shaddai. I hope you realize there's a lot more going on, at least in the way I'm looking at it and I'm trying to share with you. I'm not just addressing these weeks in which we find ourselves. I'm addressing a very basic approach to life. That is, 
Let me learn to live in the verses that we've looked at tonight, and we will discover more of divine health. We, we have got a mindset in one area of the church of divine healing. I believe in that. I believe in laying hands on the sick, and I believe and have seen and do see them recover. But something more glorious than that is divine health. This, that the sickness doesn't get to me. Or if it begins to get to me, it is repelled by that which is greater than the sickness, which is the resurrection, which is God's contradiction of death and all sickness that leads to it. Um, it's, uh, people go to visit the sick in order to assure them uh, of their sickness. Doctors, oh dear, I might should never have said the word, it gets me started, but I don't know how many persons come under what I unashamedly call the curse of the doctor who acts as if he's God to tell you the day of your death and, and, and sits and tells you you had three months, you had two, whatever. And you live under the grip of that fear and fear allows you to accept what you're afraid of. And the doctor has filled with fear. When, when my wife Nancy was alive, and was practicing, and I saw this so many times, people would come to her with their sickness, and usually she was sort of the end of the line. You you know how it is. When all the doctors have said, we can't do anything more for you, well, let's try a quack. And so they, they find a doctor of natural medicine. And so they would come, and they would always begin telling their story by saying, well, the doctor's given me three months to live. And, and Nancy would always say, it doesn't matter what medicine I give you, your thoughts of fear, faster than the speed of light, will go through your body canceling the medicine. That was absolutely true. And so she would say, before I give you any medicine, we've got to get rid of the fear. And that would be what she would do. Um, work with the people until they no longer feared. They no longer believed the doctor. I remember one case where the person said they would die in, in October. And so Nancy said, well, we're not going to treat anything until you promise to help me in an office uh, Christmas party. I, I want you to be part of um, planning it and bringing food and um, help me host it. And the person was drawn into it until they found themselves that they were concentrating on a Christmas party, which meant they'd lived beyond October. And the curse of the doctor was destroyed, and then she could give them medicine, and they did live to the Christmas party and beyond. Um, fear. No, we, we understand love in all its aspects. I am beloved. I am held in love. I'm indwelt by love, and out of me flows love. That, that's true immunity, and it is true divine health. See, fear says it's flu season. And laughingly, we've often said down in the town, well, we don't participate. They look at you kind of weird, but I really mean that. 
so who's saying it's flu season? What, what witch doctor has put that curse on us? My daddy's arms are tighter around me, and, and, and his Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, is dwelling in intensity within the cells of my body. You might think I'm crazy, but I do believe these things. You see, this is so, this, as I read it, as I read it to you, there was in the words the very life that can deliver us from all manner of evil. And so what is it we do? Do you realize fear is a choice? I know some of you will think I'm very harsh and cruel in saying that to people who are terrified. I'm sorry, I really am, but I can't help you unless you realize fear is a choice. We, we have a, a series that was made specifically for home Bible studies where people gather and read the Scripture and um, they... Uh, so I, I in, in that series that we have on our shelf somewhere, um, you know, I speak for 10 minutes for each Bible study and bring into discussion. And that was the thing that changed people's lives. I, people I know, I can say that since they were involved in that series of studies, they have never been the same. And they will tell you right out it was because they discovered fear is a choice. Fear doesn't hold me. I choose to hold fear. Why? All through the Bible are the words, fear not. That's a command. If you can't help being afraid, how could God ever say to you, fear not? It means that there's a glorious world that's sitting right in front of your nose where there is no fear. It's the gospel that begins. Remember when the angels introduced the gospel, they says, fear not. I bring you good tidings of a great joy. You can't believe what's about to happen. Fear not. It's, uh, by that, I don't mean you just, uh, you know, bravado. I can't stand those people who just say, well, I'm not afraid. No, we, we, have, <clears throat> we have respect for a crisis. I'm, I have, I, I mean, yes, we are in a crisis right now. And I'm not just going around saying, well, we're not afraid. No, I'm certainly not controlled by fear. I'm not directed by fear. I don't think fear. I don't imagine fear. I don't, uh, I don't produce a movie of fear. No, I'm not afraid. On the other hand, I don't do stupid things. Um, and as I said, there's more than one thing to be added to what I've said in terms of food that builds my immunity to, yes, avoid contaminating places and so on. But we don't live by fear. Fear not. Do you remember when <clears throat> they were approached, well, they being the Israelites, standing in front of the Red Sea, and here comes all the forces of Pharaoh, and there's no way out, can't go forward, open desert sand dunes and ultimately mountains on side, and coming straight at them, a man who's furious and wants to have them gone. And it says, Israel being afraid, terrified, what's happening? The word of the Lord came through Moses and said, stand by. 
And that that's, I guess it's okay. It's a hard word to put into English. It, it means um, be present. It, it's, it's when um, you're called for duty and you say, you know, I'm present, I'm here, I'm ready. And usually it means you stand still, waiting for orders, waiting to see what's going to happen. Uh, when you went to school, did you have it over here in the States? They called your name and you had to say present or something like that. Meant I'm here, I'm ready to study. <laughs> and um, what Moses said, you know, you're, you're all in a state, you're, you're crying, you're screaming at God in fear. He said, stand by, present yourself for action. And then he said, two or three words later, stand still. That is, be still. Stop. Stop all the raging chaos in your mind. Stop all your visions of doomsday. Stop it. Stand ready. Let's see what God's going to do. And then be still in expectancy. You, you choose to ignore fear, and I say that very carefully. I'm not, I'm not just preaching at you. I know what you're going through. But you, you ignore fear. Ignoring fear by which I mean you do not say, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid. No, forget that. Just ignore it. Because when you say, I'm not going to be afraid, your thoughts have just had twins. And that you're reproducing thoughts about fear. Ignore fear. Well, it isn't just ignoring it, because that's almost saying, well, I won't think about it. Or it's the bravado person who says, I'm not afraid. No, ignoring fear is because you've found another point to put all your thoughts. You choose to praise God. Give him thanks for who he is right now. Fear is saying what the virus is right now. Now instead, give praise to God for who he is. Praise to God that you live under the shadow of El Shaddai. Praise to God that he surrounds you like a shield of love. Praise to God that he dwells in you, the power person of the resurrection. Praise to God that in the resurrection of Jesus, death has been forever contradicted. You say, I don't have enough faith. I, I know, nor do I. That's why I rest in the faith of Jesus. He, he has the faith. We, we, we live, and that's Galatians 2.20. You might remember it. He says, I live, yet not I. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. It's, it's not that we've got to have faith. It is that we trust his faith, that he's already won this battle. And if you can get a hold of this, I'd almost say thank God for this crisis because it will have carried you into a life of divine health in mind. Yes, I, we often miss that out. But, but uh, divine health of mind, which means clarity of thinking. It means sane thinking. It means thinking without being bogged down into a swamp of fear. Emotions that are the joy of the Lord and the peace of God that passes human comprehension. Well, 
what I want you to do is to pray this every night, every morning, every noon. Why not? The news cycle is spewing out its exaggerations and lies and fear-mongering. Why don't you counter it by just praying this? Learn to just sort of say the words, but you're saying them with joy and praise to God. And um, if you have the Passion Translation, it's one of the best of Psalm 91. Um, I would use Psalm 91 Passion to do what I've just told you to do. And read it with thanksgiving to God. And when you come to that it shall not approach you, it will not even come near your tent. Don't say, oh God, please let that happen. No, give thanks to God. It is so. You praise God not after the fact. You praise him because that's the way it is. It can change your life. And tonight, as my blessing upon you, I'm going to read the statement at the end of this psalm, which is how Father, God, your original true Father, is speaking of you. It says, because he, she, has loved me, therefore I will deliver him or her. I will set her securely on high because you have known my name. You will call upon me. I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will rescue you and honor you. And take this one. With a long life, I will satisfy you. And I will let you behold my salvation, mean our experience. And I think I've told you, the word salvation doesn't mean that you don't go to hell. Oh, please. Would somebody just read what the Scripture says? Salvation is a word that means you are released from sin, and it means you are healed of your physical, mental, emotional sickness. That's the meaning of the word. And he said, I will cause you to behold it. You'll, you'll experience it. It will become part of your life. So there it is. The Lord himself bless you and keep you. Lift up his countenance upon you. Be gracious to you. May he catch your eye in a crowd. And wink and say, you know, I've seen you and I love you. And give you the peace that passes all human comprehension. So I bless you, and that is the way it is.